The Sermon on the Mount is for people that are, first of all, born again of the Spirit of God. The lost man, the natural man, knows nothing of this sermon. They can't touch it. This is for folks who are, first of all, saved and who are an, of an understanding that it is, it is his disposition within us that creates the ability to do any of this Sermon on the Mount. You must understand, going into this thing, that none of us can turn the other cheek. None of us naturally walks the extra mile. We'd like to think we can. Uh, it's easy to say, love your enemies when you don't have any enemies. But try it when someone is your enemy, they're out to hurt you. Uh, you may, uh, you may uh, say it's easy to pray for those who persecute you until somebody's actually doing it. This sermon is about the life of Jesus manifesting his life in and through us to pull this off and to do this. Jesus never would have given us a command that could not have been fulfilled. He would not have given us teachings that couldn't actually be done in this world. But if you think for a moment that this is a beautiful, poetic sermon that can be pulled off when you grow, you're wrong. Until we go to the grave, we will not be able to do these things. This sermon, I was talking to a young man in seminary, and uh, he, was, he made the statement to me after the class, because we kind of talked to him, and he said, you know, why even try? If I can't live this life, why even try? And I said to him, you're getting real close. Because we were never meant to try to live this stuff out. Never. It's impossible. And until a man, a Christian, comes to the place where he totally gives up the ability to do this and realizes that it's Jesus doing this in me, then he begins to hope, then he begins to see the manifestation of actually loving an enemy. Now, you have two different worlds. You have the actual world that we live in. And you have the real world that Jesus lives in. You have the actual life where I have to shave and fold laundry and where people are mean and nasty and people run you off the road and we struggle. That's the actual life. But then Jesus is presenting real life. The actual life is lived by common sense. Common sense says you do not love your enemy. You watch your back around your enemy. The actual world looks at this sermon as foolishness. Jesus came from another world bringing a real life world into the actual. Now, the way that you get to the actual life in learning and growing is by intellectual curiosity. How do I learn about the cosmos and the universe and scientific things and, and how life works and, and how to fix an engine? Curiosity of the mind. You follow me? But in the real life, actual and real, the actual is learned by obedience and submission by faith to revealed fact, revelation fact. It's a completely different life and world. You have the actual, where we really, really live, 
Then you have the real life that Jesus brings. Now, this is what he does. If a person is, is, is captivated by the real life, pulling himself out of the actual living, he, he comes to be known as a fanatic without the ability to live in a real world. So heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. He's a fanatic. The things of actual life don't touch him because he's pulled himself out of it and all he lives is in some kind of spiritual real world where the weeds don't have to be pulled and stuff doesn't happen. We just, we just back a couple thousand years ago, there were fellows named monks who lived in monasteries who pulled themselves out of actual living just to live the real life. The problem is they took themselves into the monastery with them. Okay? If a Christian it lives in the actual world, ignoring the real world that Jesus presents to him by his life inside of him and, and in touch with the bread of life, if he just lives in the actual world, he's no better, lives no different than a lost man. Lives just like that. This is the key. Watch this. To take Jesus came from a real world into an actual world, a real life into an actual life and interpreted the actual life according to the real life. He brought heaven down here and merged the two together. Follow me? If I live all in a real world and the real life of Jesus, ignoring the actual life of everyday struggles with real life people, I become a fanatic. That's not what the world needs to see. The world needs to see the real life of Jesus merged into living with real life people that, that, that trip you up and hate you and, you know, the struggles of life where weeds have to be pulled and faces have to be shaved and laundry has to be folded and, you know, the actual stuff. Are you following me? So when he talks about loving your enemies... He's not ignoring the actual enemies you have. He's bringing the real life from heaven down, merging it with actual living. We are told that the grace of God has appeared to show us this, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously, soberly, and godly. Where? In this present world. Not pulling ourselves away from society, living in it, allowing the reality of Jesus to touch the actual events of life. Okay? Have I completely lost you? Are you with me? Okay, so you need to understand that in Matthew chapter 5 because you're going to be faced with revelation facts of, of what we are told to do that don't make any sense in the actual unless you interpret the actual from the real life that Jesus brings. See, there's two different worlds clashing and merging at this point. You don't merge the two, you don't understand. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Now, I personally really do love my neighbor. Because anytime something breaks down around my house, I just call my neighbor at 8 o'clock at night and he comes and fixes it. So, I got the best of neighbors. I hope to never lose my neighbor. You shall love your neighbor, notice, 
and hate your enemy. That's what you've always been told to do. Makes good sense, doesn't it? That's the way you live in an actual world. But Jesus says this in 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be, notice, sons of your Father. Notice, not that you might be good men, that you might have a good reputation and people might speak well of you. Notice the connection with the father-son relationship. It's very important to understand that. That you may be sons of your father, notice, who lives in the real life of heaven. Are you following me? First of all, there's a connection with the father in relationship to you as his children. Then there's a reference to him living somewhere. It's not down here. It's way up there. It's in the real life. See the merging of that which comes down? Your Father, which is in heaven. By the way, we're seated above in heavenly places. And here is the great merger of real and actual, as Oswald Chambers teaches. Notice in verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father, children of your Father, who is in heaven. Well, what's the Father like up in heaven? For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just, and he sends rain on the unjust. Wouldn't that be a funny world if, if rain only came on the Christian? The guy next to you, his lawn's burning up, and yours looks like lush. Wouldn't that be funny? You'd rain out, you, yeah, I mean, it, it would work. You could lean out the door and say, get saved and you'll get some rain. But God is gracious to all humanity. And when it's pouring on your yard, it's pouring on their yard. He's kind to those who have responded to the gospel, and he's kind to those who have rejected it. That's your father. That's my father. This is how he... This is how he operates. If I'm his child, then the family likeness should be poured down into the son. And that's how I should respond. Look at 45. So that you may be sons of your father. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Then I ask a question. For if you love those who love you, what is that? What reward is that? Anybody loves who loves them. Do we not? You like me, I like you. You don't like me, get out of my way, I'll stab you down. We like people that like us. Why do we like people that like us? Well, our egos are so frail, it kind of communicates to us that we're okay. There's a book written years ago, I'm okay, you're okay. Remember that? I'm okay whether you think I'm okay or not, because he said I'm okay. But if I really need to hear that, now follow me now, we're going to go fast. If I need to hear you say I'm okay to be okay, I'm really not okay. Because if I was okay, I wouldn't care if you thought I was okay. But if you don't think I'm okay, and I don't think I'm okay, I'm really not okay. But if I thought I was okay, I wouldn't care if you thought I was okay. 
You with me? Who's with me? Who's with me? Come on now. Come on. Which P is the cup underneath? Or the cup with anyway. <laughs> we'll swing it around. But if you just love those who love you, the heathen can do that. The unregenerate can do that. The man who doesn't have the life of God in him pulls that off quite easily. So what difference is there that Jesus is in our lives? Now look at verse 47. In fact, he says, don't even the tax collectors do the same? Now, I always smile at that verse, that part of that verse, because this was written by Matthew. <laughs> Matthew, wasn't it good of Matthew to put that in there? You wonder if Matthew even, anyway, I'm sure Jesus said it, and if I was Matthew, I might, anyway, but Matthew puts it, even the tax collectors, even those, you know, dirtbags, they, they do it. Verse 47. Before I read verse 47, let me tell you, I was on the church property Saturday doing a couple things in the morning that I wanted to finish up that I couldn't get done Friday, and there were, there were hundreds of people on the church property playing football. They had a football tournament, and there were vans and cars, I mean, filled the parking lot. A lot of vans from churches all over the area. Uh, Beaches Chapel was here, and I saw a couple different churches. So on the property, there were probably, a, it was a church football league. And I just wandered around to see the greetings that I would receive from people that possibly were Christians. You might assume that most of them are believers. I've gotten friendlier receptions at, I mean, finally, I, I, I just started saying hi to them because they just, you know, just, they just walk away. Just, whoa. Christians. Now, maybe not all of them were believers, and I was probably wrong in walking around waiting for them to respond to me. And after a while, I just started greeting people, but it's a little test to see. So I ask all of us when we greet one another, when we greet the lost man, it should be a happy thing. Strangers should wonder if, do they know me? After we greet them friendly because look what he says and if you greet only your brothers what more are you doing than others don't even the gentiles do the same and then verse 48 look at that that's a big load to carry you therefore must be perfect now i've heard Men interpret that as mature, but it doesn't mean mature, it means perfect. Be therefore perfect. How perfect do I have to be? As perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. 